open your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. Many of you know, if you've been here for a while, that we have been in a series that has explored the mission of our church. And for the first two weeks, we worked our way through uh, the first two pieces of it. And by the way, every, the, for the past two weeks, each week I've actually had you do something. I've had you stand and recite our mission statement together. This week's no different. I'm going to have you do that one more time just because repetition is our friend. So stand up here and let's all recite the mission of our church together. All right, here we go. One, two, three. CCF makes maturing disciples of Jesus who live in Christian community and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. I'm hoping that that is making its way into your life. You may be seated. And uh, you'll remember that of that, go ahead and put that back up for me again real quickly. Of the, there's three pieces to that. And the very first week we talked about what is the best environment of making maturing disciples. That was week one. Week two was the second phrase there about living in Christian community. And we said, what is the essence of Christian community? How do you know when you have it? How, when you, how do you know when you're actually living in that? And how would we go about creating that environment of uh, a true Christian community together? And that's what we covered uh, last week. This week, we're going to cover the third phrase, which is bringing the hope of the gospel to the world. And last week was, uh, or last May was a good opportunity for us to begin to talk more about what we mean by bringing the hope of the gospel to the world. It was our missions month, and we handed out to you the five priorities in May. You got another card today, and we're going to refer to that in just a moment about our five priorities. And we defined two very important terms at that time in May. We define what we mean by neighbors and what we mean by nations. And I've got on the screen here uh, what we mean by neighbors and nations. Neighbors are people with whom we typically interact without crossing major cultural, geographic, and linguistic boundaries. So they're people that are kind of more like us, and they're usually close to us, and we don't have to cross many boundaries, whether they be long-term geographical ones or even cultural ones to get to them. Nations are people all over the world where we typically do cross cultural, geographic, and linguistic boundaries. And so what I want you to see out of that is all of us have a responsibility toward neighbors because all of us are interacting with people regularly who don't know our Lord. When it comes to nations, it means that there's got to be maybe some special training at times or even just they got to get people to those locations. So there's fewer of us who can be a part of nations uh, with, with our lives. We get to be a part of it through prayer, oftentimes giving. So there's a way that we interact in that way. But when it comes down to the work actually being done, there's fewer of us that are going to go towards the nation side. But all of us have a responsibility on the neighbor's side. I also want to remind you that when it comes to nations, we have a special spot in our hearts for individuals who don't regularly have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Those people, usually in missions terms, have the title, they're, uh, they're unreached, meaning that they don't have churches in their midst, they don't have a lot of believers in their midst, so there's really little opportunity for them to hear about the Lord, and we have a special plot spot in our hearts for individuals in that category. And so, again, we've done something about that, and we've said, boy, there's one special focus that we want to have, and that is towards the Turks. If you get the card out, 
that was given you on the way in. I just want to make our way through that again real quickly. The Turks would be the individual group, the people group that we've adopted and we're praying for and we're doing something about when it comes to the unreached people of the world. And so the Turks hold a special spot in our heart and we're learning about Turks and some of us are even going to be making a trip to Turkey uh, in November in order to explore more about how our church might have an opportunity there. We also, on the, the neighbor's side, are reaching Vision House, are partnering with Vision House. Vision House is an organization that helps uh, individuals that are on the edge of homelessness lead whole lives, come back and re- be rehabilitated in some ways and come into the spot of leading whole lives. And if you're praying for Vision House, they need some men mentors. And so again, there's very few men that are involved and they would need some men mentors that would be a part of leading, especially some, some kids that uh, parents are, are at Vision House. Uh, we are dealing with Connect Nicaragua on the nation side. That's Katie McGrew and all of her group that does some great work in Nicaragua. We're sending a team there also in October in order to explore a few things there. We are dealing with international students whom God has brought to our own shores who don't know the Lord from various countries. And we would love to have a team captain for that area. If that's an area that's of interest to you and you've said, man, I've really enjoyed working with international students or I want to work with international students and want to help our church become effective there, we could use you as as a team captain. All of our five priorities have team captains. That's the one without a captain. And then the one I want to talk about a lot more today is my relational network. And by that, we mean the individuals that God has already placed in your life that don't know the Lord, and whom God has positioned you to have an influence upon. In order for us to uh, really engage all of these five areas, but especially that one that is your relational network, there's a change that has to happen on the inside of us. God says that we are becoming something. We're becoming, uh, we have an identity even of what he's doing on the inside of us in order for us to be able to Uh, present his kingdom and who he is to individuals all around us. I have a special passage for us today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I have it on the screen behind me. If your Bibles are open, I'm going to be starting in verse 18. And this is the way that Paul commends the church in Corinth related to their responsibility to be, uh, again, individuals who share the gospel with others. This is the way Paul says it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has given us a new identity. And that new identity is you are and I am an ambassador for God. Now, again, that's a biblical word, but it's also a word that we use fairly regularly in our context today. If somebody is a foreign ambassador, they're an ambassador from usually our country to another country. And other countries have the same ambassadorships that they send individuals on their behalf to represent them in another country. And so again, I would love to be an ambassador to a country like Switzerland, maybe a Grand Cayman, Fiji. I could sign up for that duty in a hurry. I think it would be much more difficult today to be an ambassador in Russia. 
who knows, you might even get kicked out. I mean, because that wouldn't be a plush place or an easy place necessarily to serve. But when you are an ambassador, you are going to another country and you're representing the interests of your own country. Today, I am saying that we all need to understand three transformations that have to happen on the inside of us if we are to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, ambassadors for God to the individuals that God has already brought around us. So I want to talk to you today about those three transformations that have to happen in your life and in mine. The first transformation has to be that we receive it. We receive it. Like any good ambassador representing her country, we must first be a citizen of that country and we must know what that country stands for. This means that we first need to receive or be members of that country before we can represent the country very well. Here's one uh, example for that. George Schultz was the Secretary of State under Ronald Reagan. I have the picture here of George Schultz with Ronald Reagan. Uh, By the way, George Schultz died last year at the ripe old age of 100 years. So he, he made it a long way. George Schultz did something every time he got ready to, he was the Secretary of State, so every time he sent an ambassador to another country, he would bring them into his office and he would say to them, I, I, we're excited to send you off and we're excited to have trained you in order to go. We're getting ready to release you. And so he says, I want you to prove to me that you can really represent your country well here. So go ahead and go to the globe and show me your country. And they would inadvertently spin the globe and they would find the country where they were charged to go to and they'd put their finger on that country and say, you know, I'm charged to go to, again, France or I'm charged to go to Australia. And he would always say, hmm, that's not your country. And so they would have a moment of of awkwardness because, again, they were pointing to the country that they were sent to, but they weren't pointing to their country. Mike Mansfield was appointed ambassador to Japan, and he was put to the test. And this time, however, Mansfield spun the globe and put his finger on the United States, and he said, that's my country. And Schultz applauded that and gave him a thumbs up. Schultz said this, I told that story subsequently, and all the ambassadors that were going out Never forget, you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us. Take care of our interests and never forget that you're representing the best country in the world. If we are to be ambassadors for God, we must begin by knowing whose we are. We are His. We are representing Him in all that we do, and we have to receive first. What are we predominantly receiving from God? Well, the, the passage is replete with it. It says it multiple times. We are individuals who are reconciled to God. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, reconciled is a term that we use when there has previously been some level of animosity or some level of tension in a relationship. And so if you're reconciled to somebody then there once was hostility, but now there is peace that's come upon that relationship. Something has transpired to change some of that tension to now being one of peace. And the Bible is very insistent that we are individuals who have been enemies with God. We have not wanted God's way. We have not wanted him to be king. We've not wanted to honor his way. In fact, we've been rebels against that. 
And the Bible also says that God has had his, his, his wrath upon us. God has had his judgment upon us because, again, he has considered us, as again, as traitors who have not wanted what he's wanted. But God, rich in mercy, has done something about that. He solved something we never could solve on our own. God has been the one who's been rich in mercy, and he has given his son, motivated by love, in order that his son might atone for our sins and provide peace where once there was just hostility between us and God. And so that's the first thing that we receive from God. We receive our own reconciliation with God. And unless you're reconciled to God, you can never spread that to anybody else. We've also received from God some marching orders that we are his representatives and that we are to demonstrate him to the world that is around us. Like any ambassador leaving the U.S., we have orders from our king, we have orders from our State Department, and we are called to represent him in the world. I'm wondering if you accept these orders. You know, God has not made it optional. You are an ambassador, whether you want to be or not, and you are charged to go into this world with individuals that are also rebels against God, or maybe some individuals that just don't know much about God. That's increasing the world we are today, is that people don't know much about God and who he is at all. Basically, a biblically illiterate society around us, so they don't really have any sense for how God is or how he is representing himself to our world. And so we're the ones that are charged to be ambassadors and step into that. Step one, we are to receive it. We can't give away what we don't have, and so we are individuals who are receiving this message before we are giving it to anybody else. Second, we are called to live it. Paul says God is making his appeal through us. And so it's through our lives that individuals are going to find out about him. We're the conduit, as it were, of his love and of his grace. When ambassador goes to another country, the very first thing that people look at is how does he live? Before they ever hear what he says, it's how does he live? What is his home like? If he's having individuals in to entertain them, who are those individuals and what's it like to be there? Is it a pretty easy person to get along with or is he rather difficult? And they are assessing all of those things before they hear much about what you stand for. They're looking at you and observing how you live. As we begin to explore being ambassadors of Christ, I want to introduce you to a term that's going to help you, I, I hope, to understand this idea of how you're living it out with other individuals. This term is called the third place. And I learned about this a little bit deeper this week because it's talked about by Ray Oldensburg, who's a sociologist. And Ray Oldensburg says that we all have two predominant places where we live. And I've got circles up here that I'm going to give you. They are our home and our work. Home are the individuals that we are charged to live with. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's difficult, but those are the individuals that are in our immediate space around us at home. Work is our second place, and it's predominantly a network of relationships where you're going weekly and oftentimes daily throughout the week. You're spending time with those individuals. You're building a relationship with those individuals as you are working in this atmosphere together. If you're a student here today, school is likely your second place. That's your work, as it were, and so, again, he talks about those first two places as common for all of us. Then he said, there's this place called a third place. And he says, those are anchors of community life that facilitate a broader sense of creative interaction. 
He says, in other words, your third place is where you relax in public, where you encounter familiar faces and make new acquaintances. And so I've got here, the third place is again, this place where you relax in public, where you encounter familiar faces and you make new acquaintances. And now I've got another little graphic up here with three circles. And the three circles are now saying all of us have a home, we have a work, and we have a public place where we are becoming known. And again, for many of you, I'm going to guess your, one of your third places is right here. You, you are coming into this place and saying, this is where I have a sense of belonging. This is where I have a sense of getting to know people. And that's appropriate. I love that. But I'm asking you, is it possible that we might also have another third place that is not the place of church, but it's a place where we're predominantly interacting with those that don't know Jesus? And I want to give you some examples of what your other third place might be. Here are some examples that I have for you today. Uh, maybe you have a coffee shop where you go in and you hang out regularly. That could be your third place, a place where you're getting to know people in that spot. Maybe you have a sports team or your children are on a sports team. That is an automatic third place. It's just easy to build relationships in that environment. Maybe you have a gym or a club where you belong and you're there very regularly. You're getting to know the people in that location. Maybe you're part of a civic group or a barbershop or, uh, again, someplace where there's, uh, you're, you're caring for the body, as it were, and you're doing that on a regular places and getting to know people. Maybe it's a political group that you're a part of or an outdoor club or a society. Or if you're working right now and you maybe go to school on the side, school would be maybe a spot would be your third place. So here's what I'm asking you today. Is it possible that you are developing this new third place and that this is the place where God wishes to use you in order to bring his interests, in order to bring who he is. That you're identifying those individuals and you're saying, I'm going to go live it in front of them. If you're going to live it, there's very, two very important aspects of living it. First is observe. You are going to just go into that space and regularly observe who is there. And you're going to take an interest in the individuals who uh, inhabit that space. And you know, I found it to be a very fun exercise for the day to say, if I, could I step into the space, which is my third space, and could I learn something about somebody today? Lord, would you help me to do that? And by the way, it has not been hard. You, you already know what my third place is. My third place is a spot on a pickleball court many mornings of the week. And I have not found it difficult to go into that space and observe, and here's the kinds of things that I found out. By, by just listening and by just being there, I found out about people's illnesses. I found out about people's job troubles, parenting issues. I found out about people's vacations. They like to talk about that. I found out about marital strains and issues in people's marriages. And so it has not been hard to be in that spot and to hear lots of things about people's lives. And that, of course, leads us to the second piece of, of living it before people is that we are going to become good listeners. Let, let me challenge you with something. Did you know that Jesus asked people in the Bible 307 questions? 307 times Jesus asked people questions. Do you know how many times Jesus gave a direct answer to people? Eight 307 times he asked a question. Eight times he gave a direct answer. Is it because the king of the universe couldn't give an answer? I think not. 
He was plenty capable of answering any question anybody had. So what was the method of the madness here? The method is he knew that's what would engage people's hearts. Can you become a good person who's a listener and who's high on being able to just allow people to tell you about themselves? You know they really want to. And I can think of no better compliment that you could receive than for somebody to say, you know, she's a really good listener. That would be a very high compliment. And I believe that's one of the things that opens the door for us to be an ambassador of God. All right, here's where we are. We have learned that we need to receive it. We've learned that we need to live it. And the third transformation that has to happen with us is we need to speak it. Paul says, we implore others to be reconciled to God. Like every other ambassador, we have a message from our king, from our, uh, our, the leader of our group, and we are called to give that message to other individuals, and as ambassadors, we speak this message. This is what Paul says. He says, we implore people, and implore is a big word. It's an important word. It means that we earnestly appeal oftentimes with a sense of urgency. We are urgently encouraging people uh, about this message from, from God. You know, there's times in life when we implore people to do things. I can think of when we were raising our kids, we implored our kids to brush and floss their teeth. The second piece of that being a moonshot, right? That was a, a big wish. If they got their teeth brushed, it was probably enough, more so than even flossing. I can still remember when I was young, I was at the dentist, and my dentist had in his office this sign that said, you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. And I, I would harp on my kids with that. I would tell my kids that all the time. You know, you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. And they knew that I was just going to live on that one. So I went to, this is a, a dentist we had back in Colorado, Dr. Greg, and I said, Dr. Greg, the next time the kids come in, I want you just with a straight face to say to them, you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. And he goes, check, let's do that. And so, you know, the kids got home. I was like, you know, how'd it go to the dentist today? They said, he said to us what you always say, if you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. And we told him, did my dad say to say that? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just a good one. And it's a good one to work together on. There are certain things that we urge individuals to do. And we are imploring or urging individuals to be reconciled with God. And you know, that's the simplicity of this message. The simplicity of the message is we just want you to have peace with God. And the Bible says again that there's a level of tension with us and God. And how, do, how can we reconcile that? How can we bring that all full circle in order that we would be friends with God? And that's the message, again, that is at the core of what we're talking about. Now, I can imagine that many of you have your blood pressure rising just a little bit because you're like, Pastor, I'm no evangelist. And, you know, it's really difficult for me to, you know, talk about the things of the Bible with people and do all that. And if you are hearing me say that's where you need to begin today, you're not listening very carefully. Because where you are going to begin with people is taking an interest in them. I think all of you can do that. All of you are loving individuals. All of you have capacity to go to individuals and take an interest in them. And one of the ways that you're going to do that is by asking good questions. 
That's what we just learned about Jesus. He just asked people a lot of good questions. And many times, they sorted out themselves what they knew and what they didn't know just by the questions that Jesus asked and what he caused them to do in the soul-searching of their own lives. You're going to learn, if you don't already know how, to ask some good questions. You're going to go into your third place, wherever that is, and you're going to ask people questions. And they're going to tell you about themselves. And you're going to find out openings in their lives of where God may be doing some work. I want to introduce to you one more thing today. I introduced you to the idea of the third place. Now I want to introduce you to the idea of the, what's called the onion model. And the onion model is something I learned a number of years ago, and I've used it a lot with individuals in building relationships. Here's what the onion model says. The onion model says that like an onion, there are layers of developing personal relationships with each other. And we start off all the time in the places where it's not very threatening, where it's easy to talk about those kinds of things, things like the weather, perhaps, or a sports team. Those are easy places to begin And as we build relationship, we go deeper and deeper and deeper, like layers of an onion, in order for us to get to the spot in the places where things really matter, where things are of greatest importance. You don't usually start off at the center of the onion. You start off on the edges of the onion, and you work your way in. Here is the actual onion that is represented by this model. And I want to talk you through it because it has, again, several different layers that I I want you to understand. And I want you to get so that you know how to interact with people. On the outside of the onion, the outside layer is what's called biographical data. You know questions like this because you ask people questions like this all the time. Where do you work? Biographical data. Are you married? Biographical data. Do you have children? Biographical data. All those issues are issues that are just common And you're rarely going to find anybody offended by asking them the biographical data questions. What's your hometown? I mean, those are easy setup questions, and they help to build relationship. The second layer in is preferences. And so these might be questions like, are you a Mariners fan? What's your favorite podcast? What's your favorite kind of music? Do you watch a TV show? Uh, What do you like to cook? Might be a preference question. And again, it's a little level deeper than the biographical data, but it's still, it's still fairly safe, right? I mean, I've rarely had anybody that won't tell me if they're a fan of some sports team and regularly want to talk about that, or if they're a reader, maybe they're going to tell me about what they're reading. The next layer in is goals and aspirations. This is a little level deeper. And you might ask somebody a question like, hey, what's on your bucket list? Well, you know, what's something you really want to accomplish in your life before you die. Do you plan on staying at your job or would you love to change jobs? Do you aspire to do something different than what you're doing right now? I found a very easy question to be, what's a vacation that you're planning? And I mean, again, that's kind of near even the preferences question, but it is an aspiration or a goal that they might have for life. And people generally want to talk very openly about those goals and aspirations. All right, now we finally get down to the one that is the the one almost near the center, and it's religious convictions. The things that people feel uh, and believe about God. And by the way, you can understand why if you have negated and you have not discussed any of the outside level of the onion with anybody, and you come in and immediately want to insert issues about religious convictions, they're like, whoa, 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 hey, 
we've bypassed all those layers of building relationship and we don't have that yet. And so it makes it rather uncomfortable. But if you've gone through some of those steps, it may be an opportunity that just naturally appears for you to understand something about what somebody believes about God or about doctrines of life. These are two of my favorite questions. If you've been around here very long, you know my first one. It's so easy to ask. I can't tell you the number of times I've asked this to people. What is your spiritual background? It's just a no-brainer. And they will tell you about how they were raised. They'll tell you that they were baptized or not baptized. They'll tell you, you know, my parents did this thing that I really didn't like. I mean, they will tell you so much information about how they were raised and how that has affected them. The next question is one I've been using more often and is, what do you think God is like? Another little level deeper, but what do you think God is like? And they'll, again, regularly tell you something that they believe about God. Many times today I'm getting the answer, you know, I really don't know. That's a tough question. I, I really don't know. And so, again, there just leaves this opportunity to step in and talk more about this area of spiritual or religious convictions. The final two layers of the onion are there at the center. One of them is deeply held fears and fantasies, and the other is what's called the concept of self, which is, again, a kind of a psychological term, but it means, uh, again, how I evaluate or assess my true self of kind of who I really am at my core. And, of course, we're working with individuals to talk about their spiritual lives because we believe that their core self is deeply tied into the religious convictions that they hold, especially as it relates to their, their, their relationship or their knowledge of Jesus. All right, why am I giving you all this stuff about onions? It's because people are like onions, and you've got to work through layers with them in order to build relationships, in order to really represent who God is to them. And so again, one of the things that you're likely doing also is you're looking for opportunities to tell stories. Jesus was a master storyteller, so you're becoming individuals also who can tell stories. And every time the opportunity presents itself, maybe you're saying, hey, let me tell you about a time in which I really had a difficulty, or I'm experiencing a difficulty right now, maybe with my kids or maybe with my marriage. And God is making a difference in my life in this way. And so you're being able to tell a story and craft a story in order to be able to insert, again, your convictions about God into this this relationship that you're building with another individual. You're also looking for opportunities to uh, gauge spiritual appetite, to find out what people, uh, when they're really ready to talk more. I'm going to tell you a story here about something that happened a number of years ago in our lives. And again, I said sports teams are a no-brainer. They will take you into relationships with other people. And there's a family that uh, we spent a number of years with. Our boys played baseball together. And uh, the family came to me, the dad did. And the dad said, do you baptize? Because I'd, like I'd like to baptize my boys. And I said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. But the place where I always start is our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is the foundation on which we baptize. We don't do baptism just as an act. We do baptism as a reflection of something that is happening on the inside of our lives. So I said, I'd like to invite you to do something. I'd like for you to come to our home. We'll open the Bible together. We'll find out who Jesus is together. And then we'll go towards baptism. Great. Sounds like a great idea. And so the, the date got closer for them to come on a Sunday afternoon. And I got a call. Hey, could I invite my friend? She has boys that need to be baptized too. By all means, the more the merrier. And so our living room fills up. 
And we have four weeks together in which we explore the scriptures. And at the end of that four-week time, we gave the opportunity for them to trust the Lord. And you know, almost all of them did that day. And we saw about a month or two later that almost all of them were actually baptized. And it was just one of those pinch-me moments of we just kind of hung out in the right places. And this is what God did through that. I'm here to tell you, I I won't mention who, but that person is in this room right now that that happened with. It's a true story, and it's true about how God can do his work with us if we'll just step into those spaces and see what happens. And it's rather electric. It's rather exciting to be a part of that whole process. Well, I've got something very practical for you to do today. And I would like to give you the opportunity to identify five friends in your life whom you would love to see God do work with. So I have some helpers right now that are going to be coming to you, and they're going to be giving you all a bag, and I'm going to be explaining to you what is in that bag. On the inside of the bag that you're going to be getting today is a pen, a Sharpie marker, which we'd love to have back as soon as you're done. Uh, it's got a card, and the card is yours to take home. In fact, I want you to take it home because we're going to use that. And we have five ping pong balls. Okay, that's what you're going to be receiving. Let me put the five or the three circles back up here again. Uh, and I want you to review your life right now. And I want you to say, where are the five people that God has already brought into my life? I don't need to look too far, but he's already brought into my life that I would love to see come to know the Lord. It could be your family or your home or your extended family where some of those individuals are. It could be some individuals that are at your work or your school. And it could be some individuals that are at this other third place, wherever that is for you. But chances are good that God has already brought individuals into your life that he's saying, I've placed you there so that you're my ambassador. And so again, what I'm asking you to do is identify those and place that on the card, one to five. So you can begin to break that out. We're going to do that right now. So it's an active thing right now. Go ahead and get them out. And you're going to place on the card individuals that, again, you want to see come to the Lord from any of those three circles. And then you're going to place them on the ping pong ball also. Just the name of the individual. First name is fine. And what's going to happen is we're going to collect these at the end of the service. You're just going to put them back in the bag. You'll keep the card, but give us the pen and the balls. And we are going to be putting the balls in this container right over here. We did this exercise, I don't know, two or three years ago. and We prayed for individuals that God had brought into our lives. We're going to do that again right over here. And the purpose of the balls is, again, to identify collectively how many relationships and how many individuals God has brought in among us. And so again, that's the exercise we're going to do today. As soon as you're done uh, with this exercise, you'll zip those up and seal those, and then you're going to be uh, taking those into the lobby on your way out, and there will be a, a box there where you can deposit those. You're thinking right now, and that's a good thing for you to do, I'm going to pray over you as you're thinking about those individuals that God has brought into your life. So you just keep working there, And let me go ahead and lead us in prayer. Lord, there is a very spiritual exercise that's happening in this room right now. And one, I predict, will have eternal consequence. 
Lord, we're not asking to go somewhere far away. You've already placed us right here. And there are individuals that you've placed in our lives. Many of them, we didn't even ask for them to be there, but here they are. And we are developing relationships with those individuals looking for the opportunity for them to come to know you. We're not, we're not trying to beat anybody in any way. We're not trying to be caustic towards anybody. We're trying to demonstrate your love to individuals, a love that you have given to us first. You've reconciled us to yourself and you've said you're now giving us this ministry with other people. And so as we're thinking about the individuals that are in our friend list, our, our five friends that you've brought into our lives, quicken us, Holy Spirit, towards the individuals that you're doing the biggest work with. And we will glorify you for that. We will honor you with that. And we will love to see the work that you do. Thank you for each individual in this room. And we ask that our lives would be used for your kingdom purposes. In Christ's name. Amen. You're still working there, and I won't ask you to stand up, but there's a song that I want to sing and lead you in today. It's a song that's a favorite of mine. It's called Spirit of the Living God. And so if you know the song, you can sing it with me. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I give you a little heads up for some of the verses if you don't know them. But uh, sing along if you can write and sing at the same time. And this is the way the song goes. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And it says, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Melt me. Mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. God wishes for you to be his ambassador it's one that he has charged you and empowered you to accomplish for his kingdom purposes and the individuals that you have on your card and on those ping pong balls are of infinite importance to him and he's going to use you in their lives well this concludes our service at the way out please deposit for us the balls the pen the bag and you keep the card and together we're going to see how God uses us in his world. I'll see you across the street for Take 5. God bless you.